0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of My Diorama's Top Picks. I'm Coco Green, armchair critic and aspiring academic, with my co host, Abla Candeloft, film programmer, journalist, and researcher. And of course, we have a very, very special guest, Judy Harris, co founder of My Diorama, And she's also, unlike me, who quit midway and dreams at night of going back, Judy has stuck with her PhD and hopefully, you know, she'll have some time to drop in some lines about that. So it's very exciting. And this will be the first of many times she'll be joining us here in the podcast. So as a reminder to the old listeners and for the new listeners in top picks we discuss marginalization resistance and some of the isms in drama documentary mystery and independent films and series now in its 11th year my die champions independent film and using the medium as a platform for underrepresented and oft ignored voices you can follow us on Twitter and oh and I still have linked in there why <laughs> what <laughs> is Twitter and what? not LinkedIn. Facebook. what is wrong with me okay you can follow us on twitter and facebook at my Larama. and if you like what you do you can leave a review on apple Podcasts. the short link is mydye.link forward slash apple and support us with either a one-time or monthly donation at mydye.link forward slash donate and there are perks such as free films and free interviews and other sort of exciting content that we have prepared for our monthly subscribers. And you can do that there. And finally, you can subscribe to our newsletter at mydye.link forward slash subscribe. Thank you very much, Socorro. Judy, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Yes, I'm Judy Harris. I uh, started a blog. don't know if you guys remember uh, that my Dilarama was originally called Vagina Eyeliner. Do you guys remember that
0: when I I never do that and I'm we feeling wait why I
1: it was like I was like <laughs> going to be like a feminist look <laughs> a feminist lens a feminist take on a film uh and I started that uh, with abla after I saw the film Kickass which I hate saying with an English accent like kickass kick uh which I thought was a horrible terrible film and I went online and
2: Reviews is it? It's
0: still up there. And, uh, <laughs> oh, really? it is. I like it's that. It's very good. So, I okay, that. I guess that'll I be good. our discussion next time. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, that's how it all started. Many years ago, I looked online and I couldn't find anything. Uh, I just didn't find anything that anyone was saying anything interesting about Kickass. ass And uh, my fury, uh, you know, flowed into my fingertips and I just decided to start, uh, start that blog. Um, I liked how you described the website now, but this week I've actually... Uh, come on to talk about uh, Be Kind Rewind, which I don't know if we could call uh, Michelle Gondry a kind of marginalised, overlooked director. But I have chosen this film because I think people think it's like a kind of sweet film and a really kind of silly, funny, playful film. But I think it's actually really serious and it has a lot of important things to say to uh, the the present moment, actually. And I don't just mean the present moment, like 21st century, I mean, kind of right right now in these the past few years, some of the stuff that's emerged about kind of race and casting and the imagination and the material environment and all stuff like that. So I'm excited to be here to talk about it.
0: No, we're excited to have you here. And I should say, you know, the oft ignored voices could also be ours, because like you just said, with Kickass, the perspective that you have. Wasn't you didn't see it anywhere, and I hope that we do that here, is to bring a perspective that you might not get other places. So yes, we're the ignored voices, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the filmmakers, right? The filmmakers have ignored voices, the audience have ignored voices, and so do we.
1: That's very true. It doesn't have to be like a subject position, I guess, does it? It's like an opinion, a mar—you go a marginalized opinion—is still something right. marginalized. i <laughs>
0: marginalized, right? Um, yeah. 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 So. Okay, great. <laughs> so, do you want to start off, Judy, with what? Um...
2: Shall I just describe the yeah. film a little bit? Yeah, give bit. okay. So,
0: uh, about, uh, why, why? Yeah, it's go on. So synopsis. Cool. What'd why you say? So much in the present, how it speaks to our present moment. So, yeah. Oh, okay.
1: Well, I'll I'll do I'll do a little synopsis and then I'll say why, what great. the key things are. So, you guys did both watch it.
0: We both
2: watched.
1: Okay, so uh, Becoming Wines* from like 2008, I think. And it's directed by Michelle Gondry, who did The Science of Sleep and other kind of things that have, that I find the aesthetic of that film a bit kind of annoying and hipster, whimsy, kind of bordering on a Wes Anderson style of things, which I don't like. But this is a very different kind of film from that. Um, anyway, so it's about... Uh, community filmmaking and it's set in uh, Passaic, New Jersey which is this really run down uh, town and the property developers are moving in and they're going to kind of demolish everything and there's like a few shops still kind of running on a high street that's just really kind of um, deprived area and everything is kind of boarded up but one of the shops that still exists is um, a video store called Be Kind Rewind yeah. and uh they're, the film centers around two characters, uh, Mike and Jerry, played by Jack Black and most deaf, and their relationship to this video store, uh, which is owned by Mr. Fletcher, played by Danny Glover. And basically, um, Jerry is this kind of madcap, kind of conspiracy theorist who is maybe like a today might be tearing down 5g stuff uh but he thinks um the government is controlling his mind with like microwaves and shit and he ends up trying to kind of demagnetize himself or something and ends up wiping all the movies from this video store that they're in charge of running while the owner is away and they end up deciding to swede all these movies which is they remake them using kind of just the debris that's found discarded around the neighborhood and kind of bric-a-brac
0: and children's playgrounds and Jerry also runs a playground a um, playground a junkyard so they do have access to all sorts of crap
1: and then they uh, so like the li- they remake the Lion King, and they use the kind of Namibian setting of the Lion King is made with like tropical beach towels, and the they, when they do Ghostbusters, they use tinsel to make the proton and the proton packs, and in the end, the you know Hollywood comes down hard on them and says uh, you can't do this anymore. <laughs> you owe us like three billion dollars, or like sixty three thousand years in jail. To which they reply, but, you know, they don't understand that because when they wiped the tapes, they wiped all of the copyright infringement material from the tapes, which I think was a great takedown of, like, how quickly we could erase the myth of property rights. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, and then they make they decide they're going to, like, make their own film to try and save the high street. So they make this mythical film about Fat Waller and his life in Passaic, which is, like, probably he didn't live there, but they create this, this or they draw on this neighborhood myth of his life and in that film they go kind of even even more of a collaborative kind of community effort with everyone improvising the film together and they even edit it together uh, kind of as a community and um and they play all kinds of things they play as well as they've been playing like you know lions in the lion king now they're also playing like organs like they make an organ out of people's bodies and bits of cardboard and stuff and then in the end, it's like this whole it's kind of consummate Hollywood ending with like a kind of crane shot as they film the movie and everyone's outside clapping away. And they're going to they've raised so much money through this tiny little film that they're going to have saved the the shop from shutting down. And even the property developers like moved and it's like it's like that's
0: not how it ended. Yeah no no judy they're still gonna tear it down because remember the woman came in optimistic and she said oh this will be enough he's like no we're moving to the projects like the, we're leaving this camp oh be, shit it. are you serious that, <laughs> no yeah be, yes because remember oh God, uh, down. the I dream dies How i didn't hear her say that yeah so so as the woman was telling him right she was just being a realist saying look you would need extensive money for these renovations and you could st- like the roof roof would be a realistic place to start but even then you just have six weeks to do it and we all know those are kind of renovations take a long time if you're going to get started with them and he said fine and she's like so what are you going to do and of course she wanted him to say well i guess i've got <laughs> i've got to move and he said, I'll start with the roof. And that's why she's thinking, this is ridiculous. You can't, you can't do that. So, it-
1: But isn't the end of it where the point is that they're passing around a hat and everyone's like putting money in?
0: Right, but that wasn't going to be enough to fix the roof. That's why he told her like he just wanted them to feel good about what they I did. I feel like it's how
2: you interpret
0: because. That. Yeah, because remember the demolition crew was waiting there. That's why they called the guy down because they're like, well, we can't even start because he's in there with people. And that's why he said, just give me an hour. So they just wanted to finish that.
2: I
1: thought it was a cynical ending in that Gondry was like pretending it was a happy ending. And that's why it became like very Hollywoody with the crane shot and stuff. But actually he was like, this is a complete um, lie of an ending. Oh, okay. So he does explicitly say
0: this is all bullshit. Well, well not in that way. Like it, he did, I think it's, In part about the Danny Glover's character coming around to see like there is a value in it, even if you can't save it, Um, there was a value in that myth. So even though it didn't save the shop, it did. They still had a sense of community, but no, they were they were going to tear that down.
2: No, I think I think, I think think there's value in what you said and the way you interpret it makes you a very
0: optimistic person. <laughs> oh, lesson learned here. Abla will not edit anything you ask her to. Be clear about that.
1: Can I just... Ple- Abla, please don't keep that in. <laughs> I fucking beg you, promise me.
0: <laughs> no, Abla's hardcore. She keeps it everything. I've learned to shut up because she oh, will not shit, edit it. are you out.
1: serious? But you haven't understood my interpretation. My interpretation <laughs> was that Gondry was saying this is a bullshit ending with how he shot it do you see what I mean
2: yes that it was sort of satirical yes of the happy endings yeah but that's a very reasonable I mean that's how I viewed it really
0: that's how I interpreted it well maybe I misunderstood you Judy okay so Judy were you saying that they did save it at the end or they did not
1: I was saying that in the film, the characters think they've saved it. But Gondry was saying, what a load of bullshit is is this ending? Because it becomes filmed in a really kind of consummate Hollywood
2: way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like you've read through the lines in between but, the lines. Yeah, no, the,
0: the characters didn't think they saved. Although, although now, now by characters, though, right? Like Danny Glover knew it wasn't going to be saved and i don't know if everyone else did so for example that woman kind of spoke to what everyone thought they were doing by contributing to that and even jack black's character was just like yeah you know um don't forget to put money in put money in so i think they maybe thought that it was still possible but danny glover yeah. was very clear like it wasn't possible but they yeah, were i do you know, he clear was the cut. only one liaising with the city
1: that i sound like a fucking idiot
0: no you nah.
2: don't, don't. it's not no it's not clear cut i mean i i saw it to be fair i saw it a while back but that's how i remember it it's that it's sort of they're celebrating, but it's an empty celebration because, you yes. know, ultimately these guys just can't win.
0: Yeah, because they're, they're the demolition crew is waiting there. So yeah. they are going to tear that down and they need to. Frankly, it's condemnable. Now, of course, it's uh, right. I mean, it's just not safe. Nobody needs to be in there and they're renting out VHSs, for God's sakes. I mean, so the place needs to come down that the problem becomes like why can't he get help owning it because it's not so much that it's just it's not just a video store as we see it is a community institution and that's what mm-hmm. makes it important so it could be anything it could have even been the dry cleaners it could have been whatever but that is what made the place savable and the problem becomes that danny glover can never move back so the problem isn't so much that it needs to be refurbished because it does Right and je- and even the whole uh, regeneration isn't a bad thing. It's the problem is that the people can never move back when you, after <laughs> after you fix it up, mm-hmm. then it's not for them anymore. It's about the place. It's about the actual physical landscape. It's not about the people.
1: It's funny, uh, but uh, that called the East but they've still got community. Because I thought it was actually a really cynical, a rightly cynical film about community in a way. I'll
0: say something about that. What do you well, mean?
1: Well, just that the whole that you know just that you feel like so so what the fuck like they're not they're going to be dispersed and it's not like they're going to move a whole community do you know what i mean and you're going to be able to re you can't just move people around and recreate an environment and the dynamics of of that environment it's like what do they have i don't there's nothing at the end of the film i felt
0: well everybody wasn't moving it was just the people in that building so the whole community wasn't moving it was just
1: i thought it was like more the whole neighborhood was
0: basically no on the brink of collapse it's because there's so many of them. There's
1: so yeah, it was like what?
0: what <laughs> well, because is they rented
1: that place.
0: They but, rented from the video store, though, right? So it was about his building
1: gentrification. I don't know.
0: Right. Well, gentrification it does happen, right, over the course of several buildings. So you're right. That could have been the first of many. So he he was the miner's canary to what's going to happen to, <laughs> to everybody yeah. else. Um, but I think it's like that's the reality of. I mean, to me, I think about the cost of doing business and in I know it wasn't talked about in terms of race because you had uh, both black, white and some Latino people in the neighborhood, even though I think for Passaic and real life, it is a mostly Latino neighborhood now, right? And it wasn't always, or city, I should mm-hmm. say. That's how you displace black business, right? With You regenerate it and they also the kind of businesses they run don't generate the revenue to be able to keep up so it's not even as if they have a business that they could come back and put there because who wants a video store in 2010 right so
1: i was just thinking as a as a place it's it's both kind of dystopian and utopian isn't it per se because also there's there's so many interracial Friendships and relationships and there's like this white middle-class woman of Mia Farrow coming. It's just I, I was thinking is
0: Are there places like that like? uh, No <laughs> And I don't I don't think she was middle-class though I mean, I think she owned a home but she if she's renting things from a video store. I think that tells us a lot about <laughs> in mm-hmm. 2010 <laughs> That tells us a lot about what her position is
1: seems so why do I yeah,
0: she seems so middle-class to me in her
1: um, I guess just because she's Mia Farrow, I can't.
0: Exactly. I'm thinking yeah, because it's the it's Mia Farrow. Um, but there are people who also, who are in those kinds of neighborhoods, um, sort of, even thinking about how people get to Passaic, they're probably priced out of New York, right? So mm-hmm. there are always people, I've done this really good documentary once around gentrification or not gentrification, white flight in Baltimore and the white people left there the ones who just couldn't afford to move because of the way they had financed their own home. So it's not as if they were choosing to live there.
1: Now we're just talking about like urban planning or whatever, but like physical proximity to people who are, who are of a different race, class, whatever to you. Mm-hmm. it's very different from actually i'm not even talking about like being friends everyone being friendly i mean like it's very mm-hmm. different to having a kind of relationship
0: with people yeah well I, well that's the thing i mean i think they were and that's always the question when you're talking about community right it's usually people who are networked and connected in some ways that's how you have uh oftentimes it's parents because their children are going to school together so they have similar interests you know what i mean so it it seemed like because Danny Glover's character had been there for a long time. He, you know, he knew lots of people. And even the business next to him, right, is like, then they were connected because their businesses were on the same block. And so you had people who were patronizing these businesses and had known each other for many years. So I'm sure, you know, it wasn't every resident, right, but it was a few hundred who were connected, had these sort of connections. And I think that you... I think you can find that depending on what they're centering around, which is, you know, another reason why I think the video store was a community institution. It wasn't just a video store, and the fact, especially the fact that the woman coming there wanted her a dollar back. It's like, really, a dollar? But she was, <laughs> she wasn't messing around. <laughs> She's like, give me that dollar. This bad customer service. I want that dollar back.
1: <laughs> I mean, and I think there is something special about video stores, actually
0: oh my gosh you went there okay Gina, I, well
1: went. I just you said it could have been any business because it's yeah. like a, a kind of a meeting point of people or something mm. but I'm, I'm not sure that's
2: true but I think that it, I don't no, know I think Andrea it definitely subscribe. is a very special place and I think we've lost a lot when we lost video stores yeah <laughs> yeah and it, um, it informs our attitude to films as well which I assume is something that you also wanted to talk about aside from the Community cohesion aspects of the film is the use of film itself or the celebratory, yeah. I think it it has
1: like a really utopian vision of amateur filmmaking and what amateur filmmaking could be. And actually, um, Gondry asked people to like upload their Swedish films, and I don't think that really took off, but. In the first decades of amateur filmmaking, in like the, oh God, I think I think it's 1923 when it became a, t- a little bit more affordable for people to make films, and it was still a kind of white, mostly white uh, middle class, but not solely, but white middle class um, pastime in America. There, there was like there were people who were trying to be more experimental and fictional, but it very quickly got became a very non fiction kind of home movies pursuit, and that people who were making fictional films. Uh, did so through they had like scripts that that were in amateur filmmaking sorry not scripts they had plots were printed in the backs of amateur filmmaking magazines so it was all kind of amateur film was quite shut shut down quite quickly as an avenue for kind of um, the imagination like a creative Uh, pursue and it became about being professional making films that were good making films that understood what films should be and they shouldn't be things that are theatrical and they shouldn't be people pretending to be lions you know shouldn't they should they should be films and this is you know this is the formula by which we you make a good film and these are the criteria by which your films will be judged and all that kind of crap it came became quite formulaic quite quickly i think and so i love this whole um different different aesthetic different style of filmmaking but I think what it really makes me th- it has a lot to say about race I think this film and a lot to say about um issues around uh, casting and
2: race so yeah we'll say ways? something about
0: that Judy because I totally mm-hmm. agree with that and just um also just a side note about um the amateur, filmmaking. It did remind me of Oscar Michaud. And when he's talked about in filmmaking, it's like a lot of his films are lost because they were shown at black theaters and those are gone now. And bizarrely, and no one has been able to explain this properly. A lot of his films are in Italy. Well, Oscar Michaud was really standout in a lot of ways, but he was an early film maker and he would make films about black people and he would set them in Harlem because you know that was when there was the early great migration in the 1920s and it's you know not so many people came during that time but that was when it started growing the imagination oh they're going north they're making all this money they're super successful and they talk about all his little tricks to get these films made because as you can imagine everything's on a shoestring budget and there'd be stories about how he would go into a restaurant and take someone's fur coat and shoot a scene with someone in the fur coat and then take it back and put it in the cloakroom all sorts of things like yeah but the films are totally lost because they were considered race films and shown just for black audiences and now they're gone and he also wrote a book because he was a homesteader at one point. I mean, he's just kind of this fantastical, larger-than-life persona. You know what?
1: I've just read several books on kind of... Uh, I suppose he's not he's an not amateur filmmaker, though, even though you're saying they're made on a shoestring budget. That's very different. I'm Because I'm just saying I've, I've read quite a few books recently.
0: Well, I think he could be, though, because he started out, like you're saying, the the, the industry was so new and he was self-taught. So it's not as if he came out of any sort of legacy of theater and then film no it was nothing like that so i think it was very uh bootstrapper self-taught at the beginning
1: because no one do what i mean
0: well but i mean you have people who come out of vaudeville right like i think it's when i think of that early filmmaking it's like people who come from the vaudeville or the chitlin circuit and they go from from reporting on stage performing in front of the camera like that's not so but that wasn't his path it was no connection to the show business and then moving on to um, films, no, and that's what makes it. That's what makes his story all mm-hmm. that more compelling. The fact is like, how was he able to do this and to make all these films? And I actually got into my friend. She refuses to go places with. Well, it's one of the few reasons she doesn't like to go places with me. But we went to this event and they did something on race films. But she didn't even know, she didn't know what that was either. So then when we watched <laughs> it, she was just like, "Oh my god, this is boring. I want to leave." And Tim Curry was there because they had a annual. It wasn't a competition, Mm -hmm. but it was like a workshop for aspiring filmmakers. And they made the worst film. I will never forget it. It was about, it's like, you know, it was for black people. So black British people making a story, supposed to be a black British story. And of course, it was about some unplanned pregnancy. And the father finds out and he's calling her a whore. And it's like, look, everyone knows that when Mm. kids have an unplanned pregnancy, teenagers, they're so stupid, they're happy about it. Because they're just like, Oh my God, this is gonna be great. I'm gonna be because they're so naive, they don't have the world experience to know what everyone else knows, how that's gonna play out. So I don't even know why they wrote the story like that. It's like what teenage boy goes around calling his girlfriend a hoe and ask if the baby's his? Never. It doesn't happen. That's not how young people react to sort anyway. I'm I'm going on a tangent here. It's nothing to do with the Oscar <laughs> Michelle. No,
1: But I think you've actually kind of raised something important for me about about be quite, well, we'll get on to more stuff about race in a minute, but about the imagination in Be Kind Rewind, which is they start out, yeah, remaking, retelling things, and then they end up making up their own story. And it is a story about their neighbourhood, but it is so, the way they uh, create the world is so, like, imaginative and innovative. It's just brilliant. And if you look around, I, don't, I only know about the UK, but, like, kind of amateur film stuff in the UK today, it is so... Uh, socially conscious In like the most I think the most Like po- Like dangerous way Politically Do you know what I mean It's like Say more about that Give an example Well that they're like Okay we're going to Do a film with this uh, School in Hackney And we're going to Make it about knife crime Or we're going to Make it Oh the story of my estate Or like It's just like yeah. Why can't people Just have an imagination We all know why Because you have to Shut down People's ability To imagine another world because that's very dangerous when people start thinking mm-hmm. that things don't have to be the way they are which i suppose is what is what people are worried about in the pandemic that people are like wait what is inevitable and what is not you know what is contingent what is a pro- like the result of decisions
0: that are made yeah. do you know what i mean well i do know what you mean and i, I almost think like you know giving the example of that bfi uh, workshop film i didn't like if they want to tell a story about young people <laughs> it could have been about them being in love it could have been about them uh, you know how these entrepreneurship kids mm-hmm. are so entrepreneurial minded, they think they're going to be the next Netflix and they're not. But it could have been a story about that. And it could have been quite hilarious about them, you know, pulling their little resources and trying to start a business with their friends. I mean, you could have just made the story about anything, but the fact that it has to be around a social problem almost goes yeah. back to the one of the things du bois says right the question everyone has for black people is how does it feel to be a problem so that film was about how those teenagers are a problem and they're a problem because they have unprotected sex and they're a problem because <laughs> they don't have a functional relationship and they're, you know and that's the story that they want to tell about what makes yeah these people a problem versus um and i, I know what you mean like i think for me in this And I wasn't actually expecting much from the film, So I thought, oh, I've never heard of it before. Must be a reason why. But it really was about the power of storytelling. And I think that is so central to our lives are the stories we tell, how we tell them, who gets to tell them, the place, the setting, the characters. And it yeah, it it brought that home about um, in terms of representation, I'm usually so rolling my eyes whenever these discussions of representation happen, because they tend to be more about respectability. Like I don't like being shown in a particular light. So I have to be always shown positive, even if, or, or just more like a propaganda, like a denial of reality, because one of the criticism and I didn't get a chance to watch it um, in preparation. So we'll have to to talk about it another time. But thinking about black representation in the U S media and people only want to see really wealthy black people. And it's like, but if only two of us are wealthy, should that be the story we're telling? I understand those two are, but what about the millions of us who aren't? Shouldn't we have something that's reflective of reality? And people don't want that. Like they prefer a fantasy.
1: Yes, they prefer a fantasy, but one that is a fantasy that is only there to serve current reality.
0: Exactly. Not a fantasy
1: that then undermines our present conditions, and I and I and so anyway, the other thing I, I I wanted to talk about, which is related to that, is about when we're talking about who the imagination and pretending to be a lion or a piano or like in this that they play kind of Italian mobsters, and I think um, uh, Jack Black does play Jackie Chan, doesn't he? At one point. He and, does. That. He yeah. wants to play fast. And so fast. there's all this kind of oh, the fluidity of things, and I think the fluidity of the self. And I, I there, it, it's it's very tricky to talk about because on the one hand there's like the current state of the world, and the real material conditions that people are living in today, and the historic, um, you know violence and theft that has occurred that has actually occurred. It has really happened and it's not a fantasy and that's real. And what we can do in a very concrete way and what should be done in a concrete way and in a policy way to address those issues of oppression and exploitation and those very serious issues. But I think when we talk about that stuff, which is all about like can, uh, you know, who, who issues of representation and who is playing which parts and which actors are given which parts, that is very serious there, there there, are real concrete issues to address there but I think while we talk about that and issues of kind of colorblind casting and that we also need to be aware that while there are certain things we have to do because current reality needs to be changed the ultimate goal I think of a world the, the ultimate goal of my my not the ultimate goal the the world I ultimately want to live in is one where the individual isn't such a rigid category or isn't I feel like the individual's like kind of calcified at the moment into this really uh this really solid category that's like about you know the kind of century of the self and all that stuff and um yeah so there's the very real kind of material issues that we need to deal with in a policy way of of kind of reality of different institutions and and property rights and wealth and and but there's also something that we do need to address in terms of the imagination and how and I and how we are relating to each other and what um, what hyper capitalism or whatever the hell kind of oligop- oligopoly fucking situation we're in now has done to has done to the imagination and has done to our the way people relate to each other, like on the street, like the kind of the the, the clearing out of of street life or the the fear of of other people and the kind of closing off into ourselves do you know do i mean like like in in a small example you'd be like a people just listening to things on their on their ipods or like you know
0: or watching netflix instead of wanting to go back to the cinema to have a group experience in the telling of the story and make meaning together as an audience or even, even when you go to some cinemas and people don't like you to make noise, I thought, I've always thought that's bizarre. It's like, um, the whole point is we're trying to have a good time here. Otherwise, you might as well be at home watching Netflix.
1: I'm not talking about a world in which everyone's friendly to each other, but I just mean some more communal way of living that was broken. And there are so many ways that, that it's been demolished, right? There's a really highly, you know, a real culture of individualism. And the imagination can should be seen as a real a very uh powerful tool in kind of undermining that well
0: can you talk about that more in a concrete way so let's let's talk about the film on the occasions that it happens and when it works and when it doesn't work right so of course like you're saying they're they pretty much do colorblind ca- casting except right in driving miss daisy and they don't want to do it for the fats, like to play fats. And Jack Black is like, well, why? Like he's not even fat. So he's like, why can't I play the role <laughs> and I'm fat? And he just gets to play the role because he's black. And also, right when we- So were he's kids, saying, Jack which is the more important
1: element? Muhammad.
0: Right, because because no one stopped him when he played Muhammad Ali and we were kings. No one, they allowed him to do that. So it's like, well, why wasn't there a demand for him to play, uh, to not be able to play Muhammad Ali? And now he can't play Fats. So I think... I he think... could
1: play a woman, right?
0: Did he? Oh, right. He mm-hmm. played Driving Mistakes. I mean, I'm of two minds of it, right? On the one hand, I think... Of...
1: No, I just don't want to say, I'm not saying he should have played Fats Waller. <laughs> I, but I just think it deals with this question in such a brilliant way.
0: Well, because it is a question. Like, I think the colorblind casting is fine when race isn't consequential to the character, which is how you have, um, you know, if there's primarily in action films, right? It's usually doesn't really matter that much what race the person is. I mean, even though I know we have these certain attributes to black male bodies versus white male bodies, like I get that. But more so, it can work either way, however you want to do the character, right? That's how Denzel Washington has a career, right? People are fine with that. Then though, for-
1: Isn't it? Cause it's about like violence and kind of, I don't
0: know. I feel well, like that's also a bit of a funny. Well, I only think it's a problem with, I mean, I think more of Asian American characters, right. Who've been typecast. So they're not allowed to do, or they're not allowed to do comedy. They always have to be fighting because that's what they do. Right. It's like they're, mm-hmm. yeah, that's their specialty. So that's um, so, but no, otherwise I don't, I, I do though think, you know, the question has come up more recently about when you're playing actual characters so that's when people Mm -hmm. are like "Mm." so for example there was a discussion when the harriet Tubman film came out because the actor was i forget where she's from i know she's she's from she's british but i want to say maybe nigerian british uh, don't quote me on that though right so that was the question like well if those aren't her ancestors should she be playing that role and then there was another instance where there was a production of a play about Martin Luther king where a black and a white character was cast as Martin Luther king so it's like wait a second but race was mm-hmm. consequential to the struggle which is why i'd argue well no you you can't have colorblind casting and then of course there's discussion about who has opportunities so it's like okay this character could be played by a white actor but given that they don't face racial barriers in the industry should we give it to them as a last resort and always ideally if race isn't consequential to give it to an actor who does face those barriers so I mean those are you know those are the questions that come up now of course for this though right it's like they're shooting in their neighborhood but again it's like jack black got those roles because he did have in terms of his character not the actor have the personality to carry it like there's this line where he says you're the best director i know i'm the best actor i know because he's got the force of personality he is going to get to play whatever he wants to play it
2: but no
1: it was it was were talking about the real world that we live in and i don't i don't like to dwell in that world i have like a fantasy future
0: that i imagine Fantasy <laughs> future what's that even mean
1: Like a utopian vision of a really fucking different way of being in the world that isn't about going to work, going to the gym, and
2: going shopping.
0: Oh, that's the only world I know. So no, No, but exactly, that's
2: the only world everyone knows. I agree with Judy on that. Is that there there isn't a narrative that offers something else that's current enough, that's mainstream enough? There was a movement back a few years ago, back in twenty sixteen. Do you remember the? Naomi Klein did a conference I think in London called This Changes Everything and there was a real effort to try and build this na- this narrative of giving people um, an alternative way of seeing the world an alternative future to aspire to create and you know and then Brexit happened and, <laughs> and everything else did so that didn't go anywhere but I do that's kind of made me hopeless I don't think enough people want that and want to live well or believe that's achievable that's possible
1: i mean Plus, i don't know if it is achieved yeah but i just when I, when I think about it, it is really about this idea of something much more carnivalesque or something in the street do you not, Or like just or in your imagination where if you want to make a film and you're a tree or you're a frog or like this is a completely imagined future. I'm not saying that this is a practice that no, should be implemented see, now. But if a, possibility, play, for if a young black woman, if a black 14 year old wants to play a 94 year old Chinese man, I'm like fucking go for it in this <laughs> utopian future, not now. Do you see what I'm saying?
0: I don't know if you can build that without first reckoning with the present. I mean, I think that imagination is possible.
1: I, I, I agree with that totally. I'm just saying, when we have these discussions about who should play what, which is important, and I agree with what you're saying in terms of the context is it, of the film, is everything, and the, the relevance of race to the story and the character being told, I completely agree in the present. And that, and I, you know, that's a fight that we should, we should be fighting it's, and, and in terms of who's, mm-hmm. I mean, it just, but I, oh, it just makes me feel, just makes me think of like Eddie Redmayne and shit like that. It's just it makes, me, I don't know.
0: But it's none of these processes have been democratized, right? And in this story, Be Kind, Rewind, they did democratize the process. That's why sometimes Jack Black was able to get away with it and other times he wasn't. So there's nothing about the film industry that is democratic, despite what they say about YouTube, it, that's still not a democratic process. So... But I,
1: all I mean is that when those arguments occur, when those discussions about someone's identity in relation to fa- someone's identity in reality and the way that reality bears on fantasy, I guess, right, on a fictional film, that you have to understand. The world that you're that you're in that you're creating this fictional film in, or I suppose this um biographic film and in, whatever. In after those conversations, I feel like in the next breath, we should be saying this shit about the imagination. And mm-hmm. about the fact that it is important that we um imagine being other people and being other things. Being I think like people, like I was saying to you, people take <laughs> have these court cases where they're like acting in the interest of like a river. so in a way the individual's breaking down in terms of the internet you know it's like this post-human future of people like you know collectively just becoming i don't know like a sea of data data. oh that's depressing though but that's a depressing version of what i'm talking about but there's like a more utopian version of it and i feel like i want to keep that idea alive while the other shit we're dealing with in reality is is being dealt with
0: but I don't think the representation in film has to do with what you're talking about because the representation of film is usually about money and power but and it's all
1: there isn't a something about acting
0: wait when when that that's what they say to get more money and power it, it, it always comes down to money or power always 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 it's never about just we want to represent something because it helps us collectively to be better people uh no because if you give them that then of course the next question would be well wait i didn't get any money so it's always about that versus of
1: course and in that way it's like well fuck who gives a shit about the film industry it's completely fucked up i can't even bother to like that's when that's just the structure of you know business Mm -hmm. the legal constraints of like a corporation right which is it has to make all this money has doesn't i have to make the most money you can for your shareholders Of still saying yes, but we want to live in a world where we are able to make
0: very big imaginative leaps. Yeah, and but I I do think that that's what the people in Be Kind Rewind wanted. That's why I mean that's what made it so funny that they would enjoy these twenty minute (laughs) versions. The low budget twenty minute version of their favorite films, and it's because people they knew were in it, and they saw themselves reflected in it in a way. Like I don't know if you guys ever played this game when you were kids, because we did it, where we would we would start watching a film and we would call out who we were. I'm her, like Mm -hmm. that was. And so when you watch the film, you imagined yourself as that character in the film. I don't know if you guys did that when we were kids, and it's always a film that you've watched before, so you know the story, and you would say, I'm her. And that meant that that's who you were going to be in the film. But who is her? Whoever you're pointing to, whatever character you're pointing to. And then that's what you call out. And when you're saying her, it's whatever character is on the screen. And And it was that breakdown, right, of the audience and the character, because you knew the film, you actually, you would know the parts, you would Mm -hmm. imagine yourself as that character in that storyline and it had nothing to do i mean it was definitely gender based but it certainly was it had nothing to do with race it had to do with who that character was that's what in be kind rewind they got out of that is they were able to see themselves much more clearly in a way they couldn't before because in actuality it's a hollywood celebrity right and something you can never do and then the next step was to then play parts in it you know that's nothing that's profitable, but I think there'd be lots of interest in it. And I think people want to engage in that way, but it's, it's that sort of, you know, the discussion that's being had at the other level where it is. Yeah. It's a lots of gatekeepers, right. Elite gatekeepers. And now their children, as they pass on, (laughs) pass on, you know, these things to the next generation of producers and directors and shareholders And then, you know, what we're doing in daily practice, something that we can influence on a, you know, we can influence in the institution of our families and households. But it could be done, like leeway could be made. And I think you do have that when you're younger. And I think it's just it's something that just gets lost because it's not really nurtured. You know, for what purpose? I don't know if people even know how to nurture that. But I think children definitely have that because we all we all had it. We all did it. We were encouraged. Like, I think everyone enjoyed us acting and playing with our imagination and even putting on I don't know if you guys did that but put on shows for your parents I mean all that stuff
1: I think yeah to me I think playing and making and collaborative making are really dangerous to how how the world is right when you start Mm. thinking of all all, like if if you take Beacon Rewind like look what they can do with all this crap they make better films than Hollywood makes they're more inventive than any fucking property developer that's going to come in and build whatever shit do you know what I mean And it's and I so I think yeah exactly, Sakura. People are much more imaginative, and the bounds of your mind and yourself are so much more open as a child. And it's yeah, there is a kind of utilitarian thing of like become a conform and become productive in a very limited way. But you know, as you get older, and there's a yeah, there's a reason why we're not. It's dangerous to be too imaginative.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, I think the media is very. But I think the media is very powerful in pushing this narrative of individualism. And, and even it goes further when you start to even have discussions with family and friends. The fallback is, well, that's human nature. And thinking about that's that's really how a lot of these things are built on to say that anything uh, you would imagine to be different is a utopia, right? Because, the you know, the definition of a utopia is a place that doesn't exist. And you're made to think that it doesn't exist because, well, no, what we do now, this is human nature, right? This is how... And to put everything through a lens, I mean, even, and that's been one of my criticisms when people teach the civil rights movement, they teach that even as something that's about individuals.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I think there's also something quite anarchic in play, in playing in the way they do in this film, you know? Well, yeah. it
0: is. Well, but see, I don't know, because I'm I'm still framing this uh, video story as, a community institution. And I don't know if it could have been, because they could have always done it on their own, but they never did.
1: Yeah. They needed a, a center around it. Yeah. I didn't mean like, sorry, that there's no organization. I meant like it makes your, it, it's irrational. There's something. They, they, break through the constraints of decorum, don't they? I suppose is what yeah. I'm saying. they're like, oh, I'm a, the bet the most powerful bit in the film, I think is when they make the piano out of the black hands and the white hands.
0: I thought they decided against that because Jack Black's character didn't like it. He was like, she's like, no, it's funny. He was like, "Mm." Yeah,
1: I like the the female, the the gender stuff was good. Yeah, when they were kind of ignoring
0: (laughs) her ideas. But
1: that was was just fucking great to me. I was like, yeah, be a goddamn piano. Something else we were going to talk about on that note was about... um, all the discussion of race and casting around Bridgerton and I, which is such obviously completely different kind of, <laughs> uh, you know, aesthetic and everything to be kind, rewind. But I just, I, I haven't watched the, I've watched a few episodes of it and I just wasn't interested, but not in a snobby way. Cause I watch really, really crap stuff, but, um, I just didn't understand that they had to justify, they like gave a, a justification for why some of the people in it were black i just didn't give a shit i just think just why do we have to explain why some of these people are black like just i find that so odd and i well, I was kind of looking up stuff about color, colorblind casting which i which we've agreed is is only okay in certain you know, it's not like a blanket a universal uh solution to things but in that instance it's like why not just fucking have black people i don't understand this i don't understand why obviously people are are racist and there's institutional racism but the fact that they did it and then i felt like they capitulated by by bringing in this narrative justification for
2: it it's because they weren't convinced that it was a good idea and it all feels very forced and very heavy-handed um it gives a very sanitized dishonest view of that period of history but it's very uncritical and it's very romanticized and I feel like it's a bit of a whitewash to just include black characters and pretend that's it's just it just feels like they're trying to tick some boxes yeah and I
0: haven't seen it I haven't seen it yet but just on first glance and I get it like there are sexy people in there it's just well when we live in a world where people just don't understand that that opulence was built on slavery I think if we all knew that and then said, okay, but we want this fantasy anyway, I'd feel better. But the average person, I don't even think knows the relationship between the two. Like they don't get that they had all that money from slavery. And because I you know, I've gone to all that stuff. Like I like Jane Austen novels. I've gone to the museum in Bath. I've gone to the stately homes and I enjoy all that stuff. I also know that where the money came from. And it's the same in the US like people have their weddings, people stars you would actually like have their weddings at these plantation homes because they're so beautiful. It's like, okay, I get that. But I could never have a wedding there and i've you know i've been to george washington's home i like you know i've went several times um and it is it is you know kind of beautiful stuff although the ceilings are shorter in the beds than you're like wow these people were tiny but you but and and i think and i understand that this is a soap opera i just think that you there yeah there's there's two people are too uneducated about the history and i think that it is no coincidence you know I think I may be justifying this in five years time, but I'm also aware that CARICOM and some West African countries are really getting serious about reparations. And I think this is a way to not to to distract you from understanding the clear racial divisions of wealth globally. So you can say, but Oh, wait, but you know, there's always some people who were doing okay. And there were some people who were having, it's like some people or literally a couple of people. And we have to think about people. And, and you know, this, this show is proof that like, it's a story of a family, like people don't exist as individuals, we exist as families, we exist through institutions. And it, of course, there's, you can always find a couple of examples of black aristocrats, but that doesn't mean that black people I were do. aristocrats. I think I'm
1: coming at this from like a, from like a totally different perspective, which is, a, about being a an actor and like a black actor and that you would never get to be in this stuff
0: no and you so, don't get to be but you right
1: know, but, and, yeah, I, that's well, true. and obviously in britain like they have i mean the the thing the thing that sold me most was when i went to see what was that play england people very nice and it was all about mm-hmm. immigration it was this play at the national theater didn't mention colonialism once it was like centuries like fucking going through the centuries from like the eighteenth century to the present, no mention. No it was all about different ways of immigration, no mention of colonialism. And I thought, well, really can you can really get away with a lot here and, and not have to mention uh that and obviously it's not in the curriculum and it is it's it it's just people talk about Brexit, they don't mention. Talk about just any discussion about immigration here, I've hardly ever hear anyone in the media talk about colonialism. And slavery and, and wealth and what this country is all about and built on, but I suppose with Bridgerton, I'm like all oh, stuff like that. I'm just like this is fucking crappy pretend stuff. Let people act, like let black actors act. Otherwise, it's not about, um, it's not trying to illuminate something about the present. Maybe it is trying to conceal something, but maybe you need to have like it written at the front, of, like a, a card at the front card, <laughs> fucking silent era, saying. <laughs> this show was very poorly researched and it's completely
0: fantastical and bears no relation well, to it's based, it's reality based on because... novel, right and in the novels everyone is white so yeah, that's they decided like you're saying it's colorblind but, but that's just it that, that's the problem it's not colorblind cast because if it was colorblind casting they would not have to justify themselves being yeah. black and, and that's the route they should have gone and
1: that they, was their sorry, mistake. If they hadn't if, done that, how would you both right, feel about it, though? Well, they, I, I would
0: prefer like, it. I, I, I personally would prefer it. I don't know. Yeah, you then then it makes sense because then because you have for that to be true, right? You have to live in a world where there aren't black people, and it doesn't mean there aren't black people in a sense that there aren't people who who look yeah exactly who look like an African. It means that you're taking the meaning away from that meaning mm-hmm. that they're not. Um, a colonized people in America—they're not an enslaved people—and then you're taking all that away. It's like, okay, well then you don't mention it because the group doesn't exist in that way in this fantasy world, and then that's fine. But they're the ones who brought it in by saying like, oh, the blacks are doing okay. It's like, okay, now you've gone crazy because the And there was still like, okay. there
1: was still class disparity. Yeah, it was just was such bullshit. I like the fact that
0: there were, but then you have to not mention it at all then, and then then you're living in the fantasy world because that's how soap operas worked in the nineties. No one talked about the fact that there was a Black doctor there and how, you know, how, right, right? Like everyone just accepted, oh my God, we love him so much. And then we could all say, okay, yeah, we know this isn't in any way based in reality because this is, (laughs) I forget where they lived in all my children, right? But the minute you bring it in, then it's like, okay, no, because now you're changing the world. In which case, if we are going to live in a world where there's Black people, especially during this time, then they would have been working on a dock somewhere. They wouldn't be here mm-hmm. or they'd be serving us. That'd be possible, but they wouldn't be sitting there part of the aristocracy. That's, yeah. y- you know, so they have to either leave it out totally or. But I, but, can't I mean, that's why it.
1: they did that device. I can't understand it. Because, because we it's we all very know
0: cynical black people... and they felt they
2: needed to justify it. <laughs> because and we if all you... know
0: how black people were living, then that's that's why, yeah, so they yeah. feel like... And it,
2: yeah, <laughs> and if, if your argument is, well, there aren't enough good parts for black actors, I would argue that's true. But then why rehash the same old bloody period drama non-stop on a on the loop it just shows that there's a real paucity of good drama and good Wow. Well, we don't need but, much more period drama we can actually write we kind of but they could have set, set it, it in fail. another place
0: though right because in certain caribbean countries they did have a sort of this colored cast and that could have worked well, as we've
1: established i don't
0: play i don't pay much attention to <laughs> okay, well, tales. okay well that's my understanding well that's my understanding of how they became aristocrats, right? They have a white yeah. arist- um, aristocratic father, and the I don't know, <laughs> I, I don't know what the mom was doing. I don't know. So, so that I mean, could the actors mixed race taking place in certain Caribbean countries, right? Because that ultimate, or even Haiti, right? Like that, you had that colored cast, and that's where they came from, right? They were they inherited the title and the wealth from the white parent. Right. So you could have had that same story just in another country.
1: You you're both, you both are tying these fantasy shows to mm-hmm. react, but they're complete fantasies. They're not fantasies way, enough. Everyone... They're not
2: fantasies enough in people's but understanding when, but of Abla, the world. When you
1: say we don't have enough black writers and black actors, of, of course the the whole fucking system is completely fucked up. And I think we'll I, I have little faith that ever be changed anyway but um but that's assuming if there were more black writers that black writers should then write black characters or something about the black experience so I just hate it's just like just no no
2: not necessarily the black, black experience on the contrary they write wherever the fuck they no, want no, to but write exactly exactly. that's what I mean it doesn't have to be the black experience it doesn't it just means you write three dimensional human beings that then so could you write uh, could they could, if you're saying this is this is ridiculous discussion that maybe no, no, going go
1: but, yeah, hypothetical black writer whatever mm. that is should not then write a historic like a period drama
0: we know what a black writer is i don't know what a so-called black writer is we need a black a person who's black who is a writer and i think writers tend to write what they know so i i think that if you are a black writer still, when, then we're
2: all just there's
0: nothing in. wrong with that it doesn't make you locked in why can't you write about what you know god knows when they try other things it's just full of stereotypes so i'd actually kind of prefer you to (laughs) to write what you know what's wrong with that i think you should write what you know but it wouldn't be exclusively that though so i think as a black person you don't know just black Mm -hmm. life but i think you'd be more likely to have black characters but you'd have other characters too but the fact is that even though most black people because of numbers right most black people know white people most white people don't know Mm -hmm. black people so I think that so I think that if you have black writers and and they do write black writers tend to write both they don't write exclusively black characters and I think you would definitely write more realistic black characters whereas I think a white writer yeah. would struggle to write realistic what black characters which is why you see what you do but like and I'm and I, you know I'm not disagreeing with you Judy I certainly believe that like Bridgerton could have worked but they should have left race out totally because you can like just because you are a black person mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you're telling a black story or the story is about yeah. race like you could totally have that fantasy it's done in romantic comedies right Right, romantic comedies, they pretend that they're both just two individual people looking for love, which we know doesn't exist in the real world, but we're fine to go along with yeah. that for an hour and a half if they're sexy people. We're like, Oh well this is fun. Let's listen to the jokes and watch their you know, their quirky best friends. And we're fine with all of that. So I think their mistake was then bringing mm. race into it because then it's all going to fall apart. So, yeah, and I like, you know, I like soap operas and trash TV, all of that. It's all very fun and delightful. I just only have a problem when people then try to make the social commentary. And then I'm like, yeah. okay, no, because if you're going to do that, you better get it can work. It's worked in right. things
2: like, um, I mean, stop me if I'm wrong because I haven't really seen much of it, but uh, Robin Hood, I think it was, uh, Merlin, I can't remember one of these series on um, on the BBC. I think I saw um, it one yeah. of those. Well, they, they have black, exactly. black, black actors playing some of the characters. But it in, in, as a viewer, you could kind of suspend this belief that there'd be that many um, <laughs> black people in yeah. Britain in the Middle Ages. But it, it exactly. wasn't made into an issue of any sort. It was just, right, well, they just cast that actor in that role and that's it.
0: Yeah, I think it works. But I also feel like
1: if you are a black 18-year-old in the state in Hackney, you should just write whatever the fuck you want. And if you yeah. want to write a fucking Jane Austen novel parody or, or a real historical fiction you should no, do I that agree,
0: i agree with you that yeah. no 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 you don't agree with that what? look judy you can't have it both ways no 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 you can't you can't okay. have it both ways oh, you can't honey, have it both she's ways. gonna come for me because <laughs> she's, she's smart but she's too fucking well researched oh shit In my house no i'm not I'm, I'm just saying i'm just saying that you can't have it both ways look i think if if you could write about if an eighteen-year-old on the state can write about being a white middle-class woman in Islington, then the white middle-class woman in Islington can write about. But it about doesn't the have to be good. No,
2: it doesn't have to be good. But you well, can still write it. It me. might end up being a comedy. It might. It, it doesn't have to be accurate. Thank you very much, everyone. That's all for us for this week. <laughs> Uh, join mm. us for more discussions and debates and reviews next time. Until then, you can tweet us comments at my Diorama or simply write us uh, an email. And do check out our interviews with all the competition filmmakers from the Clermont-Ferrand film festivals that are now up online.